0: Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Jack's Radio. Today I'm speaking with one of my clients, Dr. Sarah Platt. Sarah has trained with me for nearly four years now. I'll uh, I'll just correct myself there, sorry. Sarah's put up with my bad jokes and average attempt at humour for nearly four years now and continues to get stronger and stronger even during this period of lockdown. Sarah is also an intensive care consultant up here in Newcastle. So as this is a period of time where a lot of people have been in positions working on the front line and I've already spoken with both my mum, Dr Ali Field, and my good friend, Dr Julian Donovan, I wanted to try and get as many perspectives from different parts of working on the front line against coronavirus in hospitals and healthcare as I could, And I think Sarah offers a really, really great and level-headed insight into what it's been like, but also what she's been doing to look after herself too. As always, during this time, because we are using Zoom, you may have to give us the benefit of the doubt with the recording just at a few points. We lost a little bit of the connection. Again, much like the other podcasts I've done with people who've worked on the front line in the last couple of months, the aim of the podcast wasn't to so much ask these professionals when is this going to end but more so just get an idea of an insight into what it's been like and how they've been taking care of themselves through this time and through that if there's anything that we can look to apply in our own lives too. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Dr Sarah Platt. First of all Sarah thank you very much for giving up your time to come and speak to me today. Sure thing. Could you tell people what it is that you do for a living?
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, so I'm an anaesthetic and intensive care consultant at the RBI in Newcastle. So I spend about just under the half of my time doing anaesthetics and about uh, about 60% of my time doing intensive care.
0: Wicked. And how long have you been in that job at the RBI? So I've
1: been a consultant, um, wrong, good question, eight years, just in fact, about eight years last week. Um that I trained in Newcastle. I went to medical school in Newcastle, so didn't really demonstrated much in the way of imagination. I've been in the Northeast for what well, since ninety six, twenty four years.
0: Good. Obviously um,
1: the accent as you can tell. <laughs> Still say so Newcastle.
0: And obviously there's a um a slightly different context to work right now. Uh, which we, I guess, we can't really avoid talking about, and that's part of the reason that, that I got you on today. Um, so, how has work in ITU changed since the coronavirus pandemic?
1: So, um, anaesthesia has stopped. Um, as probably everybody knows, we stopped planned operating in the NHS. Um, well, it had to have, it had to have stopped by April the fifteenth, and most trusts had stopped a little bit. Earlier than that, so we've not been doing any planned anaesthetic work for about six weeks now. Um, and even a little bit before that, when there was still some anaesthetic work going on, all the intensive care people were pulled out of theatre. So I haven't given an anaesthetic now in uh, a couple of months, which is fine. Um, and that's allowed us to put all our time into intensive care and to anticipate what was a busier time definitely than usual. And we had enough plans in place to make it decent, even if it had been even busier than in fact it was. So, um, so I'm a full time intensive care doctor at the moment and um, we're split three ways rather than two ways in terms of on call. So that's a bit more in the way of shifts every week. Um, and obviously the the diseases that we are treating have gone up by one because we've got a whole new one so that's been um quite a steep learning curve but um interesting i think it's fair to say but not uh not bad just just different
0: what was it like in the in the build-up to it was there was there sort of change sensed on the horizon yeah so that was
1: actually worse than the doing definitely so i I'm, I and I've told you this before I'm sure but I absolutely remember the day I thought this is this is serious actually this is going to be a thing here this isn't a thing just in China or just in northern Italy and um, and that was the fifth of March so and we've been in daily planning meetings from the end of April uh, at the end of April from the end of January and um, but the kind of enormity of it didn't hit me definitely until that first week in March. And I thought this is, this is seriously coming and this is going to be seriously uh, different here as well. Um, and we were faced with the prospect of going from our baseline, which is 42 intensive care beds, well, 42 critical care beds, half of which are high dependency, so not that sick, and half of the other half of which are ventilated beds, so very sick. And we were asked to make sure that we could at least double, if not treble, and possibly more, our footprint and our ability to, to deliver intensive care. And that clearly involved finding a load of space, a load of beds, a load of ventilators, a load of drugs, a load of staff, and, and more and more and more. And that bit was definitely hardest, because there was a continuous sense of, is it going to be tomorrow? Are we ready? Are we ready? Um, and in fact, when it started getting busier, we were ready. And in fact, everyone had a sense of relief for I was here. let <laughs> at least get it done like a sort of terrible looming exam, but much worse. But at least now we're just in it and we're going to have to crack on and, and, and hope the plan worked. And, and it did for us. So um, the doing was, was definitely easier than the worrying in anticipation about it.
0: Have you found the like the atmosphere or the environment, kind of at work in terms of i guess the general staff has changed throughout the throughout the period
1: yeah it was quite interesting i think so we definitely saw peaks of each staff group realizing it was going to be serious so i think the kind of itu lead intensive care leadership went first we thought hang on a minute this is this is going to be a thing so the um the leads within the group of intensive care consultants quickly followed by all the other consultants because clearly we we're all reading the same material and and interpreting what was happening elsewhere in the same manner. Um, And our nursing staff shortly thereafter, because we'd sort of clearly brought them into our plans and they were beginning to see this was serious. The surgeons took a bit longer. So it was about two weeks after we'd done peak anxiety, that the surgeons got peak anxiety because no one had really noticed, because why would they? Um, uh, And then all the worries that we'd had two weeks ago and had kind of just got used to now they started exhibiting Um, and we definitely saw a lot of, there's a lot of changing advice very early on Um, and every week there'd be a big change in the PPE that you were supposed to be wearing, not that we were wearing it yet, the patients hadn't arrived but our advice, our training and all of that kind of stuff and that caused a huge amount of anxiety. People were just saying you know well well, it it must have been wrong before or how can I trust it's right now and that was definitely difficult to manage and there was quite a lot of worry from the nursing staff, particularly about, you know, they would have to be in very close quarters with their very sick patients with this disease. And then it very interestingly, as soon as we started getting patients, we had a, I remember a particular nurse, one of our um, sisters, who went from quite anxious about needing to know everything wanting to know every detail. And I said to her after about three shifts, how's it going? She went, oh, I'm really enjoying it. It's absolutely great. It's really interesting. And again, it was that, oh, now I'm seeing it and not just picturing it. It's actually okay. It, it's just in, in, in your mind, you create something that's far worse than, than the reality. So we went from definitely very worried and all a bit uh, stressed to, I think, in a bit of a, we're in the trenches now. We all look after each other. This is going fine. Um, and now there's definitely a sense of relief that it's improving coupled with a little bit of annoyance that it isn't going away because <laughs> it's not going away so we're not going to go back to normal normal but it's going to be much better than it was three four five weeks ago so i think we're all kind of settling down to that now i guess everyone is you know life isn't going back to exactly like it was in february is it
0: and now that you've been in it for a couple of months how has lockdown been do you think it was you know early on were you were you kind of so busy with work that it was just get back from work, recharge for the next bit and get back in. Has that, has that changed or yeah, was that the case?
1: Very much so. Early on, because we were still in planning, even though I was probably only doing three or four clinical shifts a week, my usual five days at work a week was still five days at work a week because we were in so many meetings and um, planning activities and although some of that can be done in a kind of zoom environment if you're literally standing on a ward thinking how many beds would fit in here you you know if we're kind of creating a new intensive care area you you just can't do that from home it's just not possible and so a lot of colleagues were able to do quite a lot from home and the handful of us who were um leading the ITU response had to spend a fair bit of time at work so I was mostly at work for, I don't know, a month or so with appropriate, you know, weekend time off, but, um, pre-lockdown, obviously that was still an opportunity to do something more relaxing. Um, and then in the early part of lockdown, I was probably at work a reasonable amount of the time. Now definitely is the first couple of weeks that in lockdown I've actually had proper, I'm just not going in today. I don't need to go in. That's great. Um, and I'm we're lucky in the sense that I have three shifts a week and probably an office activity that I have to be at work for so I haven't had that prolonged experience of being entirely on my own in the house and going out for shopping and a half an hour walk that just hasn't been the NHS workers experience of lockdown and that it comes with its disadvantages sure but that's a definite advantage I think that that
0: stress of the now that now that um sorry kind of work has eased a little bit obviously having having been in this and you know we're over I guess the the peak of when it was really busy hopefully for good what sort of things have you been doing to take care of your own health
1: so um much less of the online activity than I thought I'd do so I was really I was all over I'm gonna do you know uh, online yoga. I'm going to do online. I um, I dance. I'm uh, I'm a very late starter at ballet. So I'm not very good, but I do enjoy it. I thought I'll do online ballet classes. Will I help? I haven't done either of those things. I've done both of them once. Um, and the things that I've found, and that just part of, part of it was having to say to myself, well, actually, if you didn't enjoy it, you don't have to do it. It's not a job. You know, it's not actually. If you don't have to, it's not a tick box activity. If you don't like it, just don't do it. And um, So the things I've enjoyed doing, I've done quite a lot of cooking. I found that it's something, I, I have to do something that I'm paying attention to. Otherwise, you're just kind of sitting around, you know, wondering what what job you should do next. And it's not, that's not intrinsically relaxing. And actually, I get to chat to people a lot at work, patients and staff. So I haven't really felt like I wanted to ring my friends and chat for an hour. And I do find you just drift into talking about covid <laughs> Which isn't very much fun. So I've done quite a lot of cooking. I've genuinely enjoyed blitzing jobs in the house that I've that I've meant to do for years. That gives me a kind of sense of satisfaction. And I have a guilty pleasure of, as you know, the remakes of Hawaii Five O. So I've really quite enjoyed downloading episodes that I missed of that really bad series and watching them. <laughs> I'm not proud.
0: I think the, um, the point you made about not seeing things like a job is really important because I think a lot of people kind of went into this thinking, you know, I'm going to learn French, I'm going to learn how to bake, I'm going to learn all these sorts of things. I think actually just taking a step back and going, okay, these things help me relax is a really important thing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't fail lockdown. It's not a sort of pass-fail experience, so you don't have to actually do something useful in it. And I, I was looking actually at my, um, I've got wooden doors in the house, and about two years ago, I had the bathroom redone, and the guy that owns the company that did the bathroom installation is a joiner by trade. And he said to me, Well, oh, your doors, they'd look really good if you, um, if you Danish oiled them. I so said, Oh, what's that? So it's just some like wood oil. I said, You've got to sort of micro, like a very fine wire wool, and like micro sand them and then stain them, or not stain them, oil them, and that replenishes them. They'd look great. And it turns out that even five weeks of lockdown, seven weeks, whatever it's been, that is still not enough spare time to make that an activity that I can be bothered to do. I looked at the door and thought, I could do that. And then, no, no, no. That's just not, that nothing is worth that. You know, I'll I'll, I'll pay someone to do that. I think I've ever actually wanted doing but That's not going to be one of the things on my jobs list. It's, that's not any fun.
0: So there's no, uh, no DIY skills being picked up in lockdown then?
1: No, not really. I can't think that I've done anything that's sort of of any practical use <laughs> I make lot well of cake.
0: And is, there a, is there anything in particular that's helped you kind of switch off from all of it? Because I know it's, you know, there's a lot of messages on the news and on social media. Is, is that something you've had to be aware of, you know, in your personal time as well? I know you said you're, you're trying not to call too many people because you inevitably end up talking about COVID in your spare time. How have you dealt with that?
1: So I don't, I have the radio on all the time, normally, in kind of peacetime, I would have radio Four on, I almost don't, I don't leave a room without turning it on in the next room, I don't, i am not put it on at the moment at all, really, I turn it on reflexly, when I come in, uh, you know, if I, when I get up in the morning, I go downstairs and spend my cup of tea, I knock the radio on, and I'm almost immediately, i turn it off again, because it's just wall to wall, coronavirus, this, PPI, that, P- PPI, no, no, that's over, at least, <laughs> One blessing, the misstelling of PPI. They're <laughs> not talking about that anymore. Um, PPE um, and all of this stuff, and you know the R number. And should schools be going back? And I just, I'm not interested. It makes me want to shout at the radio, so I've just, I've left that off, and I have music on. Um, and similarly, I don't have the TV on. You know, I think I feel like I know enough about what's happening with COVID that I don't need to listen to the news really. And I don't click on the stories that say, you know, this change revealed in three weeks time. Because I think, well, they haven't announced that. That's just, that's someone guessing. And I'm not, I'm not really interested in guessing. Um, other than that, I think, I think because it's been so much less isolating when you're a key worker and you've been allowed to go to work, I've not found it particularly difficult actually. And I said I think quite early on, I probably said to you, I don't wouldn't I said I didn't mind lockdowns lockdown so long as we were over the peak. It was being pre-peak and lockdown that I found quite stressful. Um, but once we were clearly over peak, I think, well, now it's just you know bravely staying in your house. That's that's something I can do.
0: And you know, with being in your position at work, did you find that you had to kind of, um, I guess, like step up even even further from the leader position that you're in?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't, I, I, it, it'll be something I think that we'll look back on and think, well, what did we actually do? It was really, I spoke to one of our um, clinical risk leaders the other day about something entirely unrelated, who I know a bit socially. Occasionally in the pubs, we go for a drink every couple of weeks at work. And she said, "Oh, while I've got you Sarah, I must say I've heard so many, you know, really nice reports of how visible your leadership has been." And I thought, "I don't know what that means." You know, she's quite, she's quite kind of right on. She sort of has phrases that are like that that sound really nice, but you don't really know what it means. Um, and you can't tell if people are just being nice to you anyway, because at the moment, if you work in the NHS, people have been really nice to you. If you work in intensive care, it's gone like super nice.
0: You Red carpet. Know,
1: yeah, topics. people randomly thank you in the corridor at work, just totally random people. Well, thank you as you walk past them. Oh, You're very welcome. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel like we did anything particularly special And went to a lot of meetings and asked a lot of people for advice about how you sort something out and asked a lot of people to help us sort more intensive care beds out. And, um, you know, the sort of me and the other two intensive care leads. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think there's there's definitely been the requirement to take a bit more flack than usual um, because you're the you know, obvious target for why does no one know X, Y, and Z that's going on. Um, and I suppose, therefore, there probably have been bits where people have thought, oh, you've all done that really well. But um, I think time will tell. If they're looking for a new clinical lead when this is over, then no is the answer.
0: <laughs> I guess it's... Um... You know, just a case of you, you're still going to do your job that you've that you've been doing anyway. Just the different context. Yeah. Is there's this new thing to deal with?
1: Yeah. And actually, the way, one of the very odd things, and it's been in the media as well, is how little of everything else there was. So we went through, and it's still not picked up to pre-COVID level, definitely. But we went through, you know, several weeks where the normal non-COVID work had shrunk down to. 10% of our usual activity. Yeah, and some of that's because we're not doing planned operating, people weren't out in their cars driving fast, or weren't getting in car accidents, etc. But some of it was just inexplicable. You know, where, where were the heart attacks, the strokes, you know, the sepsis, all that kind of stuff, that just that wasn't turning up. And whether that's because it just didn't happen or because people sadly stayed at home because they didn't want to come to hospital, I think, again, time will tell. So we were... Busy-ish, but not nothing like what we've seen in London with people doing you know three and four times their usual number of ed school. It just it was just never that busy here. I,
0: th- I think that's a it's definitely a sentiment that other people who work for the NHS have echoed as well in the podcast that they've done. So I know Julian, who works in A and E, said mm. he was getting a bit concerned about the amount of drop in people who thought they were yep. having heart attacks and strokes. And yep. my mum uh, said the same thing as well, working in general practice um so yeah hopefully that's it's not something that people have just been riding out at home yeah yeah
1: Yeah, interesting and and we you know we've never seen a new disease like this so maybe that's what happens maybe the natural history of a new disease is that other you know other diseases just become quiescent for a bit I can't imagine how it works but um there does there does seem to have been a genuine drop-off in in some other activity and that's maybe it's because of people not exerting themselves because they're staying in the house and not catching other stuff because they're staying in the house. Who knows? I don't know. I guess in a few years, there'll to be lots of papers about this that we would all feel obliged to read.
0: And just on a slightly different note, because uh, I don't want to spend too much time just talking about coronavirus <laughs> because it is, <laughs> it is largely your entire work at the moment. Uh, <laughs> what sort of things have you missed uh, during lockdown? Is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to?
1: So um, the sad thing is the things I've missed the most relate to food.
0: And All personal the, training, obviously.
1: That, well, Yes. <laughs> oh, first, yeah, first, um, that naturally picking up the heavy things and putting them down again has been a fundamental thing in my life that's been missing. Uh, but also donuts, which is intrinsically related to personal training as well. But no, I, I guess because I'm so I live on my own and I'm very used to being able to go out anytime I like to – to have anything we want you know how lucky we are in this country that we can normally just think well oh, do you know what i'm not cooking i'm going out for brunch oh i might go out for a drink perhaps I'll, you know just that and i'm not even the world's most spontaneous person but having to stay in for all of your meals and not being able to nip out and meet friends for a coffee and that kind of thing i've really missed and i'm you know i'm sure we're all telling ourselves after this I will I will be so much better and I'll make sure I see people and I won't stay in the house for the whole weekend, even when I didn't have to. But I suspect that won't last very long. Uh, so I've missed that. and I've missed my lovely godchildren, who, although they're absolutely dreadful preachers, um, who, you know, are very annoying. After about 10 minutes, I see quite a lot of them there. They're down in Middlesbrough and I haven't seen them for, I don't think I'd seen them for a couple of weeks before lockdown. So that's been, what, two and a half, months or say and so they're seven and nine now and they're not it's not the same trying to Skype with them they're pretty hopeless (laughs) not that interested in auntie sarah on skype so that would be nice to be able to see them Um, and and kathy knows who's my best mate and their mum who i would often have seen we'll see each other every couple of weeks so other than that most of my good friends are at work so i've been able to see them and so yeah mostly small children and food
0: you know, I can definitely empathise on the um, on the point of seven and nine-year-olds not getting Skype because I Skyped yeah. my sisters the other day. They yeah. are six and eight and they spend the entire time on their phones.
1: Yeah. No, actually, we haven't tried. So I said to Kathleen two or three weeks in, she said, oh, I'll give you a ring on Wednesday or whatever. And I said, yeah, you know, why not ring me before the boys are in bed and we can have a chat? And she said, They're pretty useless. She said, they'll come and wave at you. Because their grand their grandparents live in Canada, so they're quite they're even quite used to supposed to come and talk to Granny and Granddad on Skype. But actually, they'll give you one or two sentences and then wander off. And then what you end up with is Kathleen unable to relax and chat because the children are sort of flying around the room like loons. So we've decided it's better just to put them to bed. And, um, and I'll see them when we're allowed to. That'll be fine.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to as well.
1: Yeah, no, that would be nice. And they'll be excited because it's been ages and ages. And they are pleased to see me when they see me, but they see me every week or two. It's a bit, you know, the novelty's not there. So I think it will be lovely when we are finally allowed to, to catch up as more than one person meeting one person, because we can't even do that yet. Kathleen's going to come up, we'll go for a walk, we shall have to leave the family.
0: And on a slightly different note, is there anything kind of positive that you've got from you know, the experience of lockdown, is there anything that you've found, you know, either professionally or personally from what's been going on that you think would be worth either keeping or trying to kind of integrate on the other side of this?
1: I mean, professionally, there have definitely been loads of things on a sort of operational level there. There's lots of stuff that we have been forced to do differently. And it turns out it might have been better in places, you know, I know colleagues are doing telephone clinics that in fact, you know, a lot of the time, you don't need someone to come and see you in clinic, not particularly not if it's, you know, a second visit and they've already met you and you've examined them. So I think there will be lots of different ways of doing things that we have had to do very quickly. And, you know, if we tried to do non-coronavirus era, it would have taken years to implement and that we, you know, other parts of the hospital managed in two weeks Definitely there are, you know, relationships at work that we've developed. Either people you never knew, you know, the guys who handle the airflow extract from intensive care, who I have not met, funnily enough, are just incredible. They're Also the oxygen flow guy, you know, same guys um, who are amazing. And I've definitely made contacts and colleagues in the hospital who will be, be useful people to know for the rest of my career. And especially people who were already colleagues who have absolutely stepped up. You know, we didn't have a choice. We are intensive care. That's what we're doing. But the amount of people who, when we said we might need help, put their hand up and said, yeah, no, we'll come and help you. Definitely. You know, just say the word. And people who have come and helped nursing staff who've come and bolstered our numbers. Doctors who've come and bolstered our numbers. uh, You know, colleagues who have got less to do because of elective operating being Stood down at the moment. Who have just walked through the doors to help, and I'm not sure. I like to think if I'd been in their position, I would have volunteered. But I'm not sure I would have done. Actually, it's not. It's not that tempting. And uh, if you could have avoided it, perhaps, perhaps I would have wanted to. Um, so that's been definitely something that we'll look at those people differently for the rest of our careers. You know, who who came to help, and definitely the bunch of us who work together have strengthened our relationships through doing this you know clearly they've been it's they've been irritated with each other but that's that's life in any mildly dysfunctional family which is which is what we are um but you know there have definitely been people who I have come to have a deeper relationship with because of having gone through even the preparation what we thought was going to be a terrible time as it turns out it's not been a terrible time but and um, We didn't know that at the time we were getting ready. Um, and that's, that will have been a really positive thing to come out of this, definitely.
0: And how about uh, personally? Do you think there's, is there anything really positive that you've taken from, you know, I guess the stuff away from work, like life in lockdown, is there anything that you'd want to keep going forward?
1: I think um, one of the things I've definitely come to appreciate is how much I don't normally do for myself. You know, gosh, to do. we've got to do our own cleaning and as I say you've cooked every single meal and done my own ironing and you know goodness me I you know I really do appreciate the things that normally I have the privilege of being able to pay someone to come and help me with and I have enjoyed you know I've really enjoyed keeping the garden nice actually and watching it grow and sitting out the, my backyard gets sun in the morning so it went on the nice days I've sat out there and thought I've been having my coffee and thought oh my goodness yeah that's that's grown loads since three days ago, and probably because I have watered it. I've noticed. <laughs> I've noticed a correlation now. I've started watering, um, so little little things like that that I've thought actually I can see how I'm not a gardener at all, but I can see how people start to take pleasure in growing things and cultivating things. And I think I, you know, I've always been relatively content with my own company, and which is good, given that my own. Um, but it definitely is more evidence to me that. There's plenty of positive things you can do on your own without feeling like you're just rattling around the house, desperate to to go out and do something. You know, I wouldn't like to do it forever, but um, but it's definitely been very manageable for me.
0: And do you think the the whole experience of you know lockdown of dealing with essentially what is a global collective trauma I guess uh, will do you think that'll change anything in in the long run I know that's not a an epidemiological question as like when is the virus going to end you're a doctor you should know away. <laughs> but I guess you know more so do you think it'll have an impact in the long run on, on maybe how people either work or lead their lives
1: yeah I think it will I think it'll take a long time for people to be as Uninhibited, perhaps. So I'm, I'm really huggy. I'm very tactile. And uh, you know, I was talking to someone recently. I said, you know, it's been two months since I hugged someone. And actually, if you'd said to me two months ago, you'll have to stop it. you'll Have to stop touching people. I said, oh, I can't possibly do it. I like, you know, I really like that. Actually, it's fine. And it does make me think. Perhaps, maybe, just stop handling people as much. Some people don't like it. <laughs> even if, even if it's not for infection control reasons, put people down. And I, but I think it will change people's you know, willingness to be crammed together in close quarters or their um, willingness to be particularly in very close proximity to people you don't know. You know, I, I, I don't think I'd be very comfortable on the tube for quite a long time if I lived in London. I don't think I'd fancy going to a concert for quite a long time. She says as though she's been to a concert in the last, in the last decade. Oh no! My concert-going life is over. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it is likely to make people a bit wary of each other in that way. And but the flip side of that is people have been really supportive of you know local businesses and and of the NHS and have tried to be really kind to each other. I think in different ways. So I think. I've got a a girl I know who's got uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and she lives in America. I don't know her very well. I met her on a dancing holiday a few years ago and she's been essentially housebound with her chronic fatigue syndrome for three years. Um, And she posts things on social media and saying, you know, this is lockdown for you is my normal life. Perhaps after all this, we can all have a little bit more awareness of people for whom this hasn't been that different because this is normal for them there're plenty of people coping with the inability to go out of their house on a good day so in fact maybe we'll become a bit kinder and think a bit more carefully about including people who are unseen uh, in in
0: non-pandemic times and just to to wrap things up because i think that's that's actually a really nice point to start winding down on is is there anything you've any kind of big lessons you've taken from from all of this
1: i think the so then one of the most useful things that i was given at the very beginning of this was um some advice circulated to a colleague who's a military consultant in intensive care and he's army reserve and he was sent some frontline advice by their their military lead um, at the beginning of this, about um, this is your front line for the next six months. You know, this is a marathon and, and not a sprint. And there were some kind of top tips, and they were about you know being resilient, being clear when you weren't having a good day, so that other people could help you. Because if if, if you need to look after other people and if you want people to accept that from you you also need to to accept that you'll need looking after it at times as well and um, to engage what they call the commando spirit so yeah absolute core values of cheerfulness in adversity um, resilience and resilience and kindness as well and I think that was something that I read through he sent me an email copy of it and I thought this is this is what we need not not a not a panic between now and friday but a kind of mentality that you've got six to 12 months of this maybe and you can't be super cool and owning it and uh, absolutely ready for anything every single day of that that's not possible and in fact um i know we've talked about her before but um i really like the work of brene brown who's an american psychologist who who says vulnerability is the first thing I look for in you and the last thing I want you to see in me. And it's absolutely true in that we really want, as humans, to look after other people a lot of the time, but we hate to be looked after ourselves. And that's not going to work because we can't all do that. Otherwise, no one's going to be able to do any caregiving and then no one will get looked after. So I think some of it's been about, you know, being straightforward about this has been a rubbish day for me and uh, that's okay because last week... You had a rubbish day, and we carried you for a bit, and that's been um, definitely played out. I think in our professional relationships, and I'm sure in, in some personal ones. Uh, and I think is something that we could all do better, even when we weren't having a pandemic.
0: Lots of people have have said similar things in the conversations that we've had about, especially for caregivers. That you know, when your whole job revolves around essentially being the calm face of. Being relaxed in the face of adversity, or at least looking relaxed in the face yeah. of adversity, and being there to give care to others—is that something that that you've had to be more on top of with your with your colleagues and with each other as well?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think we probably all could have done it better. That we are—I am used to not having to look after my colleagues; that they're, they're pretty self-sufficient. You know, they're not—they're not particularly needy. And definitely, there have been times that I've reflected on—you know—somebody has expressed irritation to me because advice hasn't been clear or whatever and I've been irritated back and um, and then later thought that's not that's not been very helpful actually that's that's not how you'd have treated a stranger or a patient and because they're familiar to us it's very easy to default to why you're being so annoying type responses but actually it was probably a manifestation of stress in them that they needed reassuring. And if you come to me needing reassurance and I just bite your head off, that's not massively reassuring, particularly as I'm your leader. You think, well, great, she's irritable. It must be going really badly. You know, having to present a little bit of, there's a fine line, I think, in when you're, you know, any kind of leadership role of being real because people want authentic leadership. They want to see... The bits that you find easy the bits that you find hard they want to feel they've got a real human connection with you not that you are uh, some sort of untouchable um inaccessible leader but there is a little bit of fake it till you make it that has to be there you have to present a degree of calm supportive measured response even on the days that you don't really feel it and that's that is a difficult judgment sometimes particularly when the people for whom you are the leader are also your friends because there's a little bit of a difficult margin between are you looking after me as my friend right now or am I looking after you as your leader um, and there's definitely scope to get better at that for me and just take a breath and I've watched my uh, my colleague who's the lead for the other side of the intensive care service who's been doing this 10 years longer than me very calmly handle very similar situations and thought that's what I should have done that's actually diffused everything and made everyone go away feeling happier and calmer not just had a bit of a touch at each other um, so yeah there are lessons in there but um, for the next pandemic <laughs> I'll be much better
0: and fingers crossed that's not anything that we have to deal with in our lifetime
1: no, no I mean I didn't really have a plan for one um personally so i'm sure none of us did so i don't we don't need a plan if we do have to do it again we'll be really good
0: at it then um, we'll just pick up all the diy skills in the next one
1: yeah and learn french at least
0: <laughs> well thank you very very much for uh for giving up your time today So it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you
1: no problem at all my pleasure
0: and uh, i look forward to a donut and a coffee on the other end of this
1: yeah, I'm picking up a thing in real life,
0: eh? Yeah, so you can finally take back your crown as Newcastle's strongest consultant and anaesthetist.
1: Yes, and I can get to my one rep max, one chin up again soon.
0: <laughs> Cheers, Sarah. I know. Well, I really hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Speaking with Sarah throughout this whole thing has always been pretty reassuring for me. But one of the things that has struck me most about speaking with actually anyone who's been working in the NHS recently, is how actually simplifying our lives outside of this and looking at the things that really matter to us when it comes to self-care has been so important. And I think that's definitely something that we can all take away from listening to Sarah speak about this. So please share this with your friends, family, colleagues, whoever you think might enjoy it. Give it a like, give it a follow on Spotify, give it a review, and I will see you in the next episode.